0: Remember that whole talk we had uh about restaurant impossible a while back and uh podcast impossible. Totally failed. Just like over sixty percent of those restaurants, the Geek Out Loud Podcast! Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Geek Out Loud podcast. My name's Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you here in uh, what I'm going to try to deem maybe maybe a sane corner of internet geekdom. Who knows? It, it may end up being in, completely insane. We may actually be the joker of podcasting and not even know it. That That's, well, no, he's murderous. Um, we, we may be the... Um, the 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 Sentry. There's an obscure Marvel character for you, of podcasting and not even know it. The Sentry is essentially this character that was created uh, in the late '90s, early 2000s. Really, is when I think he was created, and um, and and the whole idea is is he's basically like uh, Superman in in the Marvel universe, but and he'd been around like during the golden era of of superheroes. But his arch villain caused everyone to forget him, and even he forgot who he was and it caused him to uh to to be a little nuts uh a little crazy when when it came back around I don't even know that that's a good example for what this is possibly uh being we we are we this podcast is the least self aware yet most self-aware podcast i believe only i here's the thing i'm going to be honest with you and 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 i think that that is something that some podcasts uh lack is 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 honesty and integrity in the way that they do things i think that there are a lot of podcasts who are uh intentionally shilling uh for access but i also think there are a lot of po- podcasts out there who are uh hating everything without giving anything a chance um for all the hate listeners and 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 for all the hits that they get and, and that's never been what this show has been about. In fact, um this show uh uh will be um, th- this show will be prob here it is. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Geek Out Loud, the most boring geek-centric podcast on the internet my name is steve glossin so glad to be along with you um we we are going to wait hold on let me uh it. um look this was a terrible way to start the show so let's um let's do this uh i i know in the past i've been known as one take glossin but it's been so long since i've done this so let's can i have a do-over mulligan mulligan please mulligan on this episode of the returning geek out loud we return again for the 10th time in the 9th year of the 20th first century geek out loud podcast time i pigeonholed myself into the whole thing about returning because it's been so long and and i've seen people talk about or i've seen a couple of people i I saw cody murphy talk about that um his podcast like he doesn't understand why no one wants to do a six-hour podcast because he he cut his teeth on geek out loud which you know we podcast every six to eight weeks and we'll we'll roll for six hours and that's kind of what he was used to um, and he doesn't understand why no one else does that. I'll be honest with you. When I listen to these podcasts that only go like an hour, I'm like, what are you even doing with yourself, if that's the case? But then I look at the consistency with which they put out content, and I'm like, I get it. I understand. I see you now. I understand how you're doing things better than me and and are more deserving of the listeners you have than I am of the listeners I have. For example, I'll give you a for example, Rule the Galaxy, a Star Wars podcast that you can find on the podcast airwaves. And uh, the YouTube, they do a great job. I was on there recently talking. Obi-Wan Kenobi, the first publicly discussed uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe the second. Maybe I had talked a little bit of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the cantina without meaning to, but it happened. That's Chewy's Cantina over on Facebook. You can get there by going to com slash cantina. Great group of collectors. They're doing stuff on the regular basis. They're putting it up on the Geek Out Loud YouTube, which you can find uh, by going, I think, to geekoutonline.com slash watch maybe. Um, I've not put any content up there personally. That's, it's all thanks to my friend Lucas and all the good people over at, uh, Chewy's Cantina there. They're putting some discussions and stuff they have up there. And, and you can kind of see people talk about the stuff they've been collecting, what they picked up. I'm really not happy with the way this intro is going because again, I absolutely forgot the way I wanted to come in and, 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 and how I had to, to introduce myself and my surroundings and that sort of thing. Um, what do you call it after you've gotten a mulligan and you need another do over, you know, can we take backs? Can we do a take back, take back redo? Um, I know there's one famous podcast. It's a technicality, no down boo over. Um, so I, but that's not me. That's not my, I am not going to steal material and and do that. I just, I've always wanted to say in a public forum, those words. And I finally got to, so now the question is, what are we doing? I Do I just, you just call for a mulligan again? Double mulligan? All right, double mull. A, a, a mubble again. A double again. A double again. I'll have a double again. Can we get a double again on this? Mulligan again. I like that one as well. <laughs> mulligan again. Uh, mulligan again, everybody. That's what I want. I want a mulligan again. Oh, but to do so, I'm going to have to have the music again. No one wants to. The, the problem here is no one wants to hear the, the thing again. That'd be dumb. I mean, what in the world is going on here? All right. <laughs> Let's do this. Dr. Obi Strange Kenobi and the Jurassic Verse of Madness. Director's Cut vs. Drago, a.k.a. Podcast Impossible. Sign my yearbook, please. This is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Glosson broadcasting from lovely Rome, Georgia in the Wilbur Heath Memorial Recording Studio space. So glad to be along with you on this podcast that has lost its ever loving identity. We don't really know what this is anymore. But will you come on the journey with me to discover exactly what it is? Because that is what we're going to do here on this particular episode, especially. I have no notes before me. I have no agenda before me. I have a few articles pulled up. I have a couple of things that we've not talked about on the show to discuss on the show. There has been much that has been released for the viewing pleasure of the masses And much that has been said about much that has been released. I don't know if I have anything at all to add to that uh, discussion, but today on this episode, by God, we will try. So I I am glad to be along with you. I hope you're glad to be along with me. The email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. We've not received any emails uh that are not spam or notification emails um since the last episode therefore uh we have no um we have no uh emails to read so there's no one to guide this discussion except for what goes on in my brain and so in my brain we will now guide the discussion uh in in some in some different various and sundry ways that may or may not um, please you and may or may not work out when it's all said and done. Um, I know what a lot of people are wanting to talk about. They're wanting to talk about the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, television series, limited series that was released to Disney Plus over the past uh, little bit. And uh, and my thoughts on that, I'm really interested to get into that to see what I thought about it. Can't wait to hear what I have to say there. Um, But also I think that um that you may be interested to know that I have a take uh that is like other people's. Something happened. I was doing well, it was smooth sailing, and all of a sudden uh something knocked me off the rails. So um Roth in Wyoming at the chat. Oh, we are live by the way at mixer.com slash Whenever we record, we go live at mixer.com slash Good to see some familiar friends and faces. In the chat, need you now more than ever. Um, and Roth in Wyoming says, "Hey, just let the chat guide the discussion. That always works out well." And I got to tell you, uh, Roth, you're you're not wrong. Um, but what we'll do on this particular episode is is do a little bit of it all. So I guess what we need to do is go way back in time. Gotta get back in time. Um, to I believe it was November, and um and and we was it November did this happen last year? Excuse me real quick ladies i have to ladies and gentlemen i have to I have to google something real fast to find out um what happened uh and when it was released. I know that it is now available to watch online um and it was only like a one night only show fathom events um <laughs> and of course, this didn't. <laughs> Oh, that's great! Um, We went and saw Rocky IV, uh, the director's cut. They called it Rocky versus Drago, and um, and it was it's basically the director's cut of Rocky IV. And so I put in Rocky IV director's cut release date in the Google, and what the Google spit back out at me was November twenty seventh, nineteen eighty five. Thank you, Google. Uh, What what great help you were. In, in doing this, uh, apparently over the old pen, it was November 11th. We went, uh, we went with good friend, John Eddie Lowe and his wife, Monique. My wife went and my wife is, my wife is not, um, uh, we watched the first Rocky together and, and I've not made her, uh, watch two or three, um, or four or five or Rocky Balboa or Creed or Creed two. But I wanted to see this, desperately wanted to go see Rocky IV, uh, the director's cut, in theaters. I was very intrigued by what Sylvester Stallone may do to it. I was very interested to see um, what, you know, how, how, look, let's be honest. Whenever we hear those words attached to a film, director's cut, the bias is, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, like everyone says, oh, the Donner cut is so much better than the then the Richard Lester cut of Superman 2, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm just saying that's what people say. And so when the Snyder cut, release the Snyder cut! You know, the director's cut, this is the way to go. And I really, truly thought, hey, Rocky Ford director's cut, he's going to really nail some stuff home because... At the end of the day, Sylvester Stallone is a better writer than people may give him credit for. He doesn't talk like he's a good writer, but he is a good writer. He gave us Rocky. He gave us Rocky Two. He gave us Rocky Three and Four. He gave us Rocky Five. Some people may say that was a misstep. He gave us Rocky Balboa and totally redeemed himself. I, I I do believe that that what I expected from him because I was like there was all this there was all this cutting you know all this but it's kind of cutting room floor. So I thought it'd be really good to do this. So I was really looking forward to it. Unfortunately, it was underwhelming. Um, I, I think there was a big focus on taking the robot out and that caused some of the heart of Rocky with, with his kid to get lost, which I think that movie needs a little bit of that because, you know, the, to me, one of the great moments of that movie is when he says to my kid who should be asleep at home, you know, I love you kid. Merry Christmas. And, you know, and, and you have the whole the, the cutaway to his kid and his friends watching the fight and being into it, you know, really kind of add to it, it's a good tension breaker in that fight scene. And it's a good way to, um, you know, once again, connect him back to home and, and keep him connected and grounded in family because Rocky is about family in a big, bad way. But because they cut the robot, they had to cut the kid out. Now, what they put in in place of that were several conversations with Apollo that worked really well. Um, the there was an extended funeral scene. We got to see Duke uh, give a give a speech at Apollo's funeral. We got to see Rocky's extended speech, which was much better than the original. Uh, you know, much more emotional, much more of a gut punch. But everything moved incredibly quickly to get to apollo versus drago and and it and and instead of having the conversation instead of showing the conversation in the time of you know in in real time uh that, that apollo and rocky have leading into the fight you know where he's like i feel like i could eat nails stallion saying and uh rocky's like i never eat those before and he's like not snails, stallion nails no 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 nails you get that whole conversation and he's like, man, I feel like I'm born again, all that good stuff just before he goes out there basically to die. Spoiler alert. That all gets kind of seen in flashback. And, um, and that's unfortunate because I feel like that there was a flow, a narrative flow that was messed up. And, And, and not that the robot was an integral part of the story, but there were parts with the robot that, added a little bit of levity but also you couldn't edit around the thing you you had to edit out the entire conversation because the robot was there um but there was some but there were some good stuff and then the fight was pretty much the fight a lot of stuff with Drago's wife was edited out and i think that's probably just stallone trying to keep ha- from having to pay uh his ex-wife more royalties um for for this thing uh, you know that kind of thing uh, they they don't have the best of they did not part ways in a great you know you know that kind of thing um but uh but yeah so ultimately it was a fun experience though because i was you know you go back to those movies like rocky and of course the same person who did the score for rocky 4 the other thing i was hoping is that bill conti would come back if they were going to do a director's cut let's see if we could get bill conti to come back in Maybe score a little bit, you know, and 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 open with the Rocky theme instead of Eye of the Tiger. But they open with Eye of the Tiger just like the original Rocky Four did. Um, you get like a whole deal of Rocky Three. Like it's almost like, hey, we know it's been a long time since you watched Rocky Three, so here is basically the whole movie for you, leading up to this whole uh, whole event. Um, and so it goes into Eye of the Tiger as an intro and everything, and that's fine. You know, that's what Rocky Four did originally. Because Sylvester Stallone and Bill Conti had some weird falling out, you know, and so you don't get the the classic uh, Rocky theme to open up Rocky Four, which is one of the weakest parts of that film to me. I love Eye of the Tiger, but one of the weakest parts of that film to me is is that you don't is the music. Not that Vince DiCola is a bad uh, bad writer, he's not a bad composer, um, but he definitely has a style, and the style is of that mid-'80s synth track, you know, drum machine, no need for an orchestra, one man's going to sit in a room and do it all on basically a a synthesizer. And when you listen to his Rocky IV stuff and compare it to his Transformers the Movie stuff, which came out around the same time, you're going to hear very similar pieces of music throughout. And um, whereas I do feel like the movie suffers a little bit from from that, but they had all the music montages and everything you want there. Um, There's no easier way out. We were, th- th- now I feel like I've talked about this already on the podcast. I'm having a an intense feeling of deja vu. Shall we start over, ladies and gentlemen? I'm kidding. Um, I, the, the I was sitting next to some girls. I was sitting, of course, next to my wife, and there were some ladies on the other side of me And and it was just amazing. Listen, the cross section of people who came to see the director's cut at Rocky was just amazing to me. That Rocky transcends all uh, all differences that we may think we all have, because there was every every tribe and tongue were represented in the movie theater that night, and so. I'm sitting next to some girls and girls that seemed too young to be into this, but man, they wanted to sing the song. And I'm like, well, if we're going to sing, we're going to sing, you know, there's no way. And so, so, you know, they got, you know, I embarrassed my wife and my friends. I was like just singing in the movie theater, you know, getting all into it and everything. And, um, and, and so yeah, Rocky, uh, Rocky Ford, Drag- it was fun to be seeing it with an audience, but I, I couldn't help but feel like it lost a little something, because of the time that Stallone had to end up editing. it, I mean, he edited it, edited it through the pandemic, edited it, uh, through the, did it, Oh, what is that song now? Did it, it? Oh, why am I thinking of a song that goes did it, it? Anyone? Can anyone help me out? It feels like it's an oldie. Um, suddenly, hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the brain of Steve. Anyhow, it feels like he had too much time to sit with the edit and and, and he and he over edited the film um and just cut and trim too much almost like honestly J.J. abrams with the force awakens i would love to see an extended cut of the force awakens at some point um without the um without without j j's editing uh but anyhow Da-da-da-da. I can dig it, she can dig it. Is it dig it? Is it I can dig it, she can dig it, they can dig it, we can dig it. Can you dig it, baby? That's one of those songs I keep going back to sometimes. I can dig it, he can dig it, she can dig it, they can dig it, we can dig it. Can you dig it? I can dig it. She can dig it, he can. Isley Brothers. Is that real, Dylan? All right, I'm going to find out. Um, uh, Let's see. Let's see if I can... This is called Grazing in the Grass. I remember this one. We've talked about Grazing in the Grass before. Um, uh, I, I don't feel like this is it, though. Um, but, yeah. I, hey, by the way, I just want to say, Dylan, I know you were joking. Dylan Dylan Newhouse puts in the... He says, da Isley Brothers. I just think Isley Brothers is a great pool. Like, you could almost make someone believe what you're saying there uh grazing in the grass grazing in the grass um can you it, baby? the friends of distinction let's give it a listen yeah Yeah, grazing in the Grass, baby, can you dig it? That's uh, by the Friends of Distinction. I don't think that's what it is, though, but it kind of feels like, grazing in the grass can, grass, can you dig it? I can't speak that fast. Here is so clear, you
1: can
0: see Are they talking about smoking or something?
1: So clear,
0: I like the walk it, go walk it, go walk it, chickle walk it, chickle walk it. yeah this is what <laughs> <laughs>
1: baby.
0: Mm, bring it down friends of distinction yeah here we go let me tell you they were they were following the rules of slime the family stone just then from dance to the music because they were bringing the drums uh the bass came in y'all remember the rules from from that you know i'm gonna give a little guitar and make it easy to move your feet Uh, that's a that's a great song that's one of my favorites of all time too by the way sly and the family stone dance to the music um, got a little second life a little bit back during the days of Shrek. If you remember Shrek, how did we get here? Let me check the chat, check of the chat. Um, this is all because Steve said, edit it. You're right. That's, that's exactly how it happened. Thank you so much, Roth and Walling. I said, edited it. And, uh, that made me go, did it it. And that let me to, okay, you're right. And so now that has brought us to, uh, Sly and the Family Stones, um, dance to the music. And, um, if I don't find it, I'm going to really have a hard time because it's in my head now. Yeah, here we go. The music. The music. I went a little corn there. Now, what do we need to dance to the music? Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think I need a little bit more than a beat. What else have you got? Maybe you can add a little guitar, maybe? Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, that makes me kind of want to slide. What about... It seems we—it's too top-heavy. It's too top-heavy. Top Can we get something on the low end a little bit? Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah. It—it
0: it still feels like there could be a little bit more. Sally, what do you think? I'd like to hear some organ. Y'all break it down one more time for me. Here we go. All the squares. Y'all fall out.
1: All
0: right. Let's break it down one more time. Y'all get ready. We're going to break it down like early corn. Boom, boom, Oh, come on. You just can't get enough of it. Bring those drums in hard now. Just bring them in real heavy right now. Do it, too. Something just popped off. I think I just blew something up. Hey, is everyone still hearing me okay? I don't know what just happened, but something literally just popped. And flew off of the board area, and I don't know if I broke something or if I blew a fuse. It's really weird. Something strange has happened. <laughs> I'm getting weird looks from my wife. <laughs> um, we skipped right to the wild hangout section of the show. Yes, we did. Um, we did skip right to the wild hangout section of the show. But we'll get back on it. Look, here's the deal. Uh, my point is this: Rocky Four Director's Cut. Really interesting, uh, it's an interesting exercise in, in in a director getting a hold of something and doing something with it. I don't know that it was as successful as I can be. Like, of course, you know, I have such an affinity for the original Rocky, but here's what we're going to do. We'll take a break. I'm going to figure out what just threw, flew out. I mean, like literally, maybe it fell off the, you know what it was? I bet it was an action figure that fell off of the top of the hutch here on the desk and bounced off the soundboard and onto the floor. We'll find out on the other side of this break. How about this? Stick around with me. And uh, we'll be right back after this on your safe place to geek out. It's the Geek Out Loud podcast.
1: By looking for a new pet for the family? That's why you should get your kids the all-new Silky Buddy. A pet, a chicken, and your buddy, too. They are furry
0: chickens. Wait, is this magic?
1: A chicken with fur? Are you sure? Fuzzy Ewok chicken.
0: Are they safe for kids? They're renowned for their calm, friendly temperament. They do well in confinement and interact very well with children. Sounds like it'll be perfect for the park, a day at the beach,
1: or even show and tell at school. You need one. Order your Silky Buddy today for $29.95 plus $7.95 shipping and handling. 30 day money back guarantee. Coming soon from the makers of Silky Buddy.
0: Silky (laughs) Dung sparkling jewelry. $29 ring at Walmart. I'm a single single man, ladies. And I don't know a lot about love, don't know a lot about relationships, but I do know this. Just work a little hard, save up, guys, and come on, at least get into the triple digits on what you're spending on a ring, at least get to that $100 mark before you, uh, before you buy a ring for your bride-to-be. Wow. Wow. Well, welcome back to Geek Out Loud. We're back here on Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Gloss. I'm so glad to be along. You may be asking yourself now. You may be asking yourself, well, what's that song now? You may be asking yourself, all right. Look, I'm not going to go. Mm-mm. Mm. letting the days go by. The water, water. who does that. Is that Human League? Somebody, anybody? Letting the days go by, and uh anyhow, you may be asking yourself, what what is this engagement ring thing, Steve? You're married. You can't be saying that. And um and uh and and I would say to you, I am married, and I am proud to say that I followed my rules for engagement rings. Um so there, take that, uh everyone who wondered if I too would spend twenty nine dollars on an engagement ring at Walmart. I did not. So, there you go and and my wife is and and was happy so and she's laughing about something I hope it's me um anyways, welcome back hey, I forgot totally forgot to do something at the beginning. We need to start all the way over. um, I'm kidding, we won't start all the way over, but this is not something that we're ever going to do. What's well, so funny, by the way. i did get a used one all right um so this is something we're not going to do regularly on goal and um but i will say this that uh i thought it'd be fun to do a little bit of trivia on geek out loud tonight and uh and talk about this trivia here uh so here is the trivia question, and, and this is a hard one. This is not going to be an easy one at all. So we will reveal the answer by the end of the show, and if anyone in the chat gets it, we'll point out they got it. If you're listening to this in 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 the aftermath, you can tweet at Geek Out Loud, or you can go comment on the post on the geekoutpodcast.com, or you can let us know on... um. On, uh, on the Golaverse group at uh, geekoutonline.com slash group. Just timestamp when you figured it out, and, uh, and, and we'll go on the honor system. We'll see how many people can get this before the show is over. So here is the question, and I only have one clue I could possibly give you, and it will not be an easy clue either. It'll, be, it'll actually be kind of a misleading clue. So what do these two sequences of numbers and letters uh have in common. What 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 are these two sequences of numbers and letters? Ready? First sequence seven eight nine five five one. Seven eight nine five five one. Second sequence AW nine six B six. That's Alpha Wingo nine Niner uh Alpha Wingo Niner Six Bingo six. So, what do those two numbers, sequences of numbers, have to do with one another? And uh, we'll see if the chat comes up with anything. And uh, if they don't, uh, everyone has Listen, this is mega obscure... Okay, let's see. How can it... This is out of a film, out of a movie. Uh, So, it's out of a movie that that was in the cinemas. Um, And this is... um, this is on screen. You can see or hear everything about this on screen, and um, and and that's all I can give you. One more time, really quickly: seven, eight, nine, five, five, one. There are two different sequences: six six numbers slash letters each. So seven, eight, nine, five, five, one. A W nine six B six. That's Alpha Wingo Niner Six Bingo Six. So we'll give you a few minutes, and if you don't come up with uh, with an answer, um, we will uh, we'll give you a we'll give you a clue that will not be a good clue at all. I'm just telling you straight up, will not be a good clue at all. It, because if I start to give clues beyond that, a, a hard clue, then when it's all said and done, it, it'll be easy. So there you go. All right. License plates in American graffiti says Roger Hart. No, Roger, I'm sorry. It is not the license plates in American graffiti that I know of. It may be, it may be, but it's not that I, not that I know of. Um, where to next on this little journey we've taken? You know, someone said that I touched on the book of Boba Fett, but I really didn't get into it. Um, Ooh, something Top gunish says Wendy Cooper about the about the previous trivia thing. I'll tell you what, Wendy, you're not you're not there, but you're looking in the right direction. Um it's not war games, it's not war games at all. You're right. All right. So, um Book of Boba Fett, I don't know. You know what? If I discuss Obi-Wan Kenobi, we'll get into my feelings on Book of Boba Fett. And I've really I've really gone back and forth about talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi because Um, because here's the thing, I I don't know, look, let's just stop right now and let's set the parameters for how we discuss things. And let's just say, this is the way we'll do going forward. I don't know that you need to, who needs to hear this. I hate it when people start that way. Um, I I don't, I don't, I don't, this, this is this, I'm about to say the most pointless thing I've ever said. My opinions don't have to be your opinions, and your opinions don't have to be my opinions. And if my opinions and your opinions do not match up, that's fine. That's all right. Who cares? These the, the 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 stuff that we talk about and enjoy is art, and it is subjective. Within the subjectivity of the art, there are some things. There are rules that are set about in those various universes and stuff that need to eventually be, adhe- be need to be adhered to so that there's a consistent line of 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 understanding and able to critique and watch and enjoy certain things but and so and so that's kind of the angle at, that I come to Obi-Wan Kenobi from it's it's interesting what I've seen where when I've actually looked or I've actually happened to listen or see some stuff I don't go looking for anyone's opinion or anyone's critique on some of this stuff until I talk about it 9 times out of 10 because I don't want my opinion necessarily to be tainted, but if someone makes a good point, then I want to hear that good point to kind of help me understand maybe something that I disagreed with them on or that sort of, so you see, it's, it's, it's kind of a catch 22. I don't want to take anyone's opinion, but I also don't want to deprive myself of maybe some, someone pointing out something that might help me if I'm struggling with, with liking something. So, um, here you go. All right, uh, <laughs> Roth right out of the gate says rules like a lightsaber shot to the gut being a bit hard to survive. Yeah, you would think so. It, I take you back to the Clone Wars when Asajj Ventress ran that dude right through the through the abdomen and and that killed him pretty good. Uh, hey, a lightsaber through the gut killed Qui Gon Jinn. Let's not forget that. That's Qui Gon died that way. So anyway, um, lightsaber to the gut killed uh, killed uh, Han Solo. Killed Han Solo. Uh, so there's that. But I feel like he kind of went out to the side a little bit. But that's none of my business. Um, Anyway, continuing on with what I'm trying to say here and what I was talking about. The uh, the, the idea of Obi-Wan Kenobi is something I think we were all excited about. And I, and I don't Okay. It was something that Star Wars fans seemed to be um, super uh, excited about. I was very intrigued by the idea. I was look guys, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say guys, look, everybody. Um, it, I, I have been very wary of Disney star Wars since the last Jedi. And there's been some other side projects they've done here and there that have caused me to not immediately jump on board and be super excited about everything they've done. With The Mandalorian, I was quite pleasantly surprised, particularly through that first season. I I thought that that first season of The Mandalorian... By the way, prior to the break, sorry, prior to the break, what popped off of my mixer board was Cara Dune uh, taking a dive from the top shelf above it and hitting and bouncing off. She's now lost her gun, Um, but it was the retro version of Cara Dune, just took a nosedive. Apparently, the, the funk was too much. And she hit the board. She bounced off. I picked her up off the floor. I, I'm missing one of her guns now. But I'll tell you this: I kind of podcast here in the Wilbur Heath Memorial Recording Studio. I it, it, I'm in a very tight cubbyhole because I've surrounded myself with various and sundry collectibles and toys, and and I've got a, a desk full right now of some comic boxes and all just a pile of stuff. And so it's very it's very claustrophobia over here. Um, but also, you know, it's a dark corner where things can happen. And as I turned to look to pick her up over in a corner that's made by a shelf directly behind me in the wall, well there was a little spider. So I had to do battle during that um during that during that commercial break and destroy the spider. I'm not ashamed to say it. I killed a spider while I was podcasting. And I'm perfectly happy to let you know that. But anyhow, so it was Carrie Dune who did that. I'm gonna say that it was a Toy Story situation, and she tried to save my life, and because she saw the spider before I did, because she had a bird's eye view. Anyhow, back to Mandalorian. I I was super pleasantly surprised by the Mandalorian, particularly that first season. I thought was just outstanding. The second season was was really really good. Uh, it, it, what really put that second season over the top, more than anything though, of course, was that season finale. Uh, you know, I, I think that that you can't you cannot discount I felt a certain way when I watched this thing or when I consumed this thing. You cannot dis I I don't think that for me I can't discount that. Because if something can cause me to transcend my critical eye view and just feel what I'm seeing and, and get caught up in the moment of the motion. And that's what the return of Luke Skywalker did for me when we saw him show up in The Mandalorian. I wasn't concerned with the face look weird. Looks weird. The mouth is not moving quite right. I, I wasn't concerned with the eyes. Seem to have that that uh, endless canyon kind of stare to him. I, I wasn't. It was just like we saw Luke. Luke got his Darth Vader and Rogue One moment, and it was absolutely wonderful, and I loved it. Uh, then you come to the book of Boba Fett, and I think that the Mandalorian had set such a high standard for what Star Wars on television could be. That the Mandalorian fell short of that, and and I really think the difference is Jon Favreau. I don't think the difference is Dave Filoni. A lot of people are like, well, Filoni this, Filoni that. Filoni is the storyteller, and Filoni is learning to be a director, and he's learning under the same way that he learned Star Wars under Lucas. He's learning directing, I think, live action under uh, under Jon Favreau. Favreau had dealt with the technology of like the volume and stuff, as I understand it, before. He was working with it with Lucasfilm, you know, or on Star Wars projects, the way I understand it. So he's able to use, because, and, I, and I'm bringing that up because I've heard someone, I was on the Rule of the Galaxy podcast, and someone brought up the fact that, you know, that can't match a, a, a live action set, you know, being actually on, um, being on location somewhere. And part of me is inclined to agree with it, except that I never got that claustrophobic onset feeling from the Mandalorian with the exception of maybe the one where they're on the planet with the blue shrimp. Um, outside of that, like everything felt expansive and vast, like it needed to. And, and I feel like the, the, the main directors, I believe it was Robert Rodriguez for, uh, is that right? For Boba Fett. And I, and I can't remember, um, Oh man, I can't remember the the lady's name who was like the showrunner for the Kenobi series. I I just feel like that they did not know how to use the technology properly, um, and and so that caused a little bit of disconnect when things should have felt bigger, they they didn't feel big enough, and when uh, when things should have felt loud and bombastic, they they didn't do that enough, and I, and there are other things that I see, you know, with. <sighs> There there was the whole idea of well, we don't want Boba Fett to be too overpowered. We don't want him to be um we don't want him to be some kind of like, you know, indestructible BA kind of guy. And and the truth of the matter is, is we sure do. Um you know, we that's exactly what we wanted. That's what we saw when he returned, um when he returned in the Mandalorian. When he when he stands up and like takes those stormtroopers out and everything, like you like this is Boba Fett. And then that is all kind of gone in the book of Boba Fett. I, I, and, and, and there were a lot of people who I saw things where they are like, well, you know, we need to see his motivation. He's taking Look, his motivation is he got knocked into a Sarlacc pit doing a job for someone else, and he doesn't want to be anyone else's employee ever again. He's got all the credits and stuff he needs. Now he wants the power. He wants the authority. I understood his motivation, and I understood um, where he was coming from. But there was a lot of... Not so fast, not so intense moments in the book of Boba Fett. And there was a lot of him really being, they went too far into the make him human kind of direction, you know. Um I thought the culture, getting to see the culture of the Sand People was great. I really enjoyed um the Cobb Vanth stuff that was going on. Of course, when Cad Bane showed up, that was really cool, really, really neat thing. The whole last episode, you know, you, you go from one gunfight to the next gunfight to Boba Fett riding a Rancor. You, I'm sorry, did someone get into my toy box as a child and play, you know, play the games that I used to play? Sure. Uh, sure, they did. That's And that's one of the things that I loved about the book of Boba Fett was was kind of that finale. Everyone talks about the two episodes of like Mandalorian season two point five in the middle, where, where we're and, and that look even that stuff was great and and I really but it, it felt like why are we doing this now, you know, to reunite Grogu and 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 Mando is that is that the whole point of this and that kind of ends up being the whole point and that's fine, you know, but I think it would have been, I would have enjoyed seeing. Mando put Grogu on hold knowing Grogu's safe knowing he's okay to go help Boba Fett out on Tatooine and and help him and then those both of those guys just kind of band together to be this this incredible duo and um and get Boba Fett his place in the world but and it's also like he's still a crime boss you know and we dealt with the pikes and that was neat to see the pikes and you know Again, we, we've seen them in solo, but other than that, we've only seen them in animated form, you know, so to see them in live action again was cool. Um, th- I think they did a better job than Obi-Wan Kenobi did of having some original trilogy aliens, you know, in view here and there. I still don't understand dad bod, Gamorrean guards. I, I, you know, like, Gamorreans are fat. You know, there's no getting around that in and, and I, and I don't know why we've done away with that issue with them, but that's neither here nor there. But I do feel like Boba Fett was a little too slow, a little too disjointed. And, um, but it was really cool where it needed to be really cool at times. So going into Obi-Wan Kenobi, I kind of felt the same way. I felt like, well, what if, you know, uh, it's always like, well, what if it sucks? And you don't want to think that way. I, you know, I, I, I think I've always been, pretty good about not watching not hate watching anything you know that's not what i'm here to do i'm not here to to i'm not looking for flaws i'm looking to enjoy so with obi-wan i was really hoping i would enjoy it but some of the previews and stuff i saw i couldn't get over the fact that one it was (sighs) You can't go, you can't tell me that they could not make the Inquisitor look like the Grand Inquisitor. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me you, they couldn't make him look Uta Pauin. um it, It's prosthetics, it's makeup, you know, do it. And, and, so, and, and in one of the arguments that I heard given to me, and this was on, maybe it was on Rule the Galaxy, or maybe it was on this show, I don't know, but it was, it, someone said, well, you know, these actors, they want to be able to see themselves in it and i i'm like well then don't be in star wars you know you're you're here for star wars so let me let me go ahead and set the table here for obi-wan where obi-wan kenobi worked it really 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 worked well where obi-wan kenobi fell short it really 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 fell short and so that's where i'm at with this thing my that's that's where i see this That the parts of Obi-Wan Kenobi that I loved, I absolutely loved. But the parts that I didn't like, I absolutely did not like. And then there are things that make me scratch my head and have questions when it comes to the story structure and the timeline structure of it all. I feel like I don't, I'm not one of these people, I don't have a problem with him rescuing Leia. I don't have a problem with him having, you know, this relationship with Leia where, When, when she hears the name Ben Kenobi, she jumps up, you know, and goes with Luke and them. I don't, to me, I I thought that that was a, that was a neat touch. And that was absolutely fine. Did not have a problem with that. A lot of people are like, well, how could she know? Why in the world, why in the world would, would, would she know? Look, the little girl was absolutely, I thought she did a great job. I, I, I think that, I think that there is a desire to to kind of make leia look leia is a strong character there's no getting around that leia, when we're introduced to princess leia the first words we hear princess leia say are not help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope the first words we hear princess leia say are darth vader only you could be so bold the imperial senate will not sit still for this when they hear that you've attacked a diplomatic mission don't act so surprised this time you know but we we see her standing up to the most intimidating scary man in the galaxy. He is the most evil man in the galaxy and and so Leia is standing when she's on the death star facing her death. You know, she says should have I should have recognized she tells Starking should have recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. I was wondering who's holding Vader's leash. You know, it she just has no no fear in in the face of these things. And so this child has to be a little precocious. She has to be a little, you know, a little, uh, she has to be intelligent because Leia is in the Senate by the time she's a teenager, you know, that sort of thing. So, but here is my, here's my issue, um, with, with all of this and that is that 10 years gone from Revenge of the Sith is too close to a new hope. Um, um, to me, you're getting dangerously close to a new hope with Darth Maul showing up on Tatooine and rebels, you know, just a, just a year or two out from a new hope when he shows up and, and he and Kenobi have their, their face off and, in in, in, in in rebels. So I, I feel like you've got to have a good 15 years between the last time Obi-Wan is ever off world. And, when he finally leaves with Luke. I I that's me that is that is my personal opinion of things because the more we start filling in the gaps of these timelines and this is part of the problem with trying to take what is meant to be a modern day myth and turn it into a Tolkien-like uh world and and story and and that's in and, and with the with the filling in of all the gaps and the telling of all the little stories that's what you're doing to Star Wars you're taking what is essentially a a modern version of a Homeric myth where we're telling grand stories and big stories and all the details aren't necessarily filled in, but everything that you're supposed to feel and know is there. And with, with what the way that they're having to do star Wars now, trying to fill in all the dots and connect every little dot, it ends up being a bit tedious to the story and it ends up stretching the credulity of the myth. And, and so so I, what, what I would have rather seen from a storytelling standpoint, this is not a criticism of any character. This is not a criticism of any actor. This is a criticism of the storytelling. I personally would have rather seen five years removed from Revenge of the Sith. Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine not because Bail comes and begs him to save his daughter who's been kidnapped, but because the Inquisitors have gotten so close to him, he leaves in an attempt to protect Luke. And and to keep Luke safe, because, look, the minute she's talking to Owen in the in the in the town square or whatever, you know, it's just like, hey, that's too close for comfort to this kid. We've got I've got to get out of here. So reveal myself to these inquisitors and run. And and then along the way, he discovers all the information about the path. He he discovers all the you know, he discovers all this stuff. He realizes Anakin's still alive and all this other stuff and you basically have the same story without the kidnapping aspect, you know, or maybe there's some nameless kid that he ends up having to help, but you still have the post traumatic stress stuff, you still have him having cut himself off from the force and having to learn to flex that muscle so to speak again, you still have um you you still have you still have all of that going on with him and then he's able to come back and maybe you have that final confrontation with Reva and him on the sands of Tatooine and all that good stuff. Uh, But, and again, not because I did not like the child, not because I did not like the actress, but because I think it is, um, it's just the timeline gets a little too soon. You know, the older I get, the more I realize 19, 20 years, isn't that long. And, and there's only so much you can do in the midst of that time to really, build things up so um but that's so there's that part of things so leave that here over here now when it comes to actually what we were given not what i not what i wish we had been given which is a stupid thing to waste time on anyway because why say this is what i wish when look just leave that alone. now let's come over here to what we were given um what we were given was 10 years out broken obi-wan Kenobi. I don't know why anyone has a problem with that. Listen, where we meet him on Tatooine cutting meat, you know, and, and living in a cave and having to deal with Jawa and all this other stuff. I think that was absolutely um, just a brilliant, heartbreaking way of him, um, of him, you know, dealing with all that he's had to deal with, you know, and And then as he's having to relearn, not relearn to use the force, but basically unlock the force, you know, uh, I I think it's just, I, I thought it was a great progression for him. And we see him doing progressively more and more and more and more, uh, until finally he's facing down and beating Vader, which I have a problem with, but we'll get there. Um, I I love that part of it. I loved everything that Obi-Wan Kenobi did and I think that when people are like, "Oh, they depowered Obi-Wan Kenobi." Of course they did. Yes, he's a broken man. You don't just bounce back from watching your best friend supposedly burn up and die on the side of a lava river on some remote planet, you know. Uh you don't just you don't bounce back from that, okay? Especially after, a, you know, a 5-year 3 or 4-year war with you know, where the people you were fighting alongside with suddenly turned on you because some shriveled up old prune of a man said execute order 66 you know you don't you don't just bounce back from going into the place that you considered safe and home for all those years and seeing dead children laying on the ground that were killed by the person that you thought was your best friend of course of course he's he's not doing the greatest you know um and so this had to be about him kind of finding that that hope, you know, again. This had to be about him rediscovering himself again. It had to be about all that. And so on, on that stand, I think the show did a great job. When it comes to a few things, though, um, for Lucasfilm, and this is for Lucasfilm, for any other show, it would have been absolutely... Um, it would have been absolutely, uh, knocked it out of the park for any other, any other organization, any other film company, any other production company would have been a knock. But for Lucasfilm, there were things that I thought were lazy and that is the makeup on some of the inquisitors, the the grand inquisitor himself, the, the fifth brother or whatever his name is. They looked like poor cosplay. The lighting wasn't good. They weren't using the volume well. Um, uh, You know, Deborah Chow, again, I think she's an accomplished director. Sure she is. But without the guiding hand of Favreau, who understood that technology better than anyone else who's used it, um, I think that she fell short in the use of it at places. Um, Hayden in the suit worked wonderfully. Uh, The first confrontation with Vader and Obi-Wan was as terrifying and as scary as it needed to be. When Vader comes walking through that town, and just like like an afterthought, breaks someone's neck with a force. I mean, come on, this is a, And here's the thing: do not think that Anakin is still in there, or or that he is accessible by Obi Wan or anyone else. This is this is one of those you know kind of debates that went on when he and Ahsoka uh, face off in Rebels. You know, because you know he kind of gives her Ahsoka. You know, you hear his voice. And she's like Anakin, you know, and he used it more more as a distraction than anything. Anakin Skywalker is, for all intents and purposes, to anyone that had known him, is dead. and And so, when he shows up, he is he's showing up to kill. Uh, straight up, he's angry. He's 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 not happy. You know, it's not. It, there's nothing good there at all. Um, and when uh, and so when he when he when he throws down with Obi-Wan and you know, burns Obi-Wan, all this other stuff. I thought I thought it was really cool. Um and 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 I really thought uh, thought thought it was some good stuff. Um I need I want to come back and address the Grand Inquisitor. Dylan Newhouse says the different medium live action versus animation is all the explanation I need. Look at Guerrero. Okay. I understand that if we haven't seen an Uta Powin before, and that's what the Grand Inquisitor is. He's an Oda Powan. And so we've seen Utapawans in live action. Go to episode three on Utapau. There's no there's no war here, you'll find no war here, you know, that kind of thing. Um that's that's the species that, that the Grand is meant to be. But anyway. Um so the 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 character of um I, look, here's what I need everyone to understand when it comes to Grand Inquisitor. I am strictly talking about the head. I'm not worried about the skinniness. I'm not worried about. I'm strictly talking about the head. His head is too round. It's not. All they needed to do was give him a little cone head action, and it would have been better. You know, I would have been. I would have shut up about it. Um, but anyhow, um, back to back to everything. The the. The car- <laughs> Bruce, that's right. Brent Spence or Bruce Spence is, is he's, he is, he is odd looking to begin with. But again, if you've established this in a live action medium and it wasn't just him there, it wasn't just him there. Um, you know, it wasn't, we didn't just see the one. Uh, so since you've established that in live action, it's not like we got fat, uh, uh, Trandoshans kind of thing it, it's look it's not an issue I want to get hung up on I'm telling you though that every time I saw that dude took me right I, I hate to. no I don't hate it it took me out of it same thing with the fifth brother took me out of it you know they just it looked like it, it I, I'm sorry it looked like cheap cosplay it It. it not cheap cosplay it looked like if I saw anyone walking around a, a convention floor looking like those guys, I'd be like, oh, that is awesome. The problem is I shouldn't be able to see something on screen that looks like something I would see on a convention floor, especially not with a Lucasfilm property. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. <laughs> Grand Inquisitor is the new steel picker. That's You're right. You're right. Oh, my gosh. I hate that bird. Um, I forgot. I've forgotten all about how much I hate that bird. Uh, the higher the head, the higher your station, in Pound Society. Okay. Um, instead we got Uncle Fester, you know, with, with kiss face paint. Um, okay, look, we got fireworks going off in the neighborhood. Like it's still the 4th of July here. So everyone will know it is the 5th of July and it's time for everyone to put the fireworks away. Um, we have a problem with 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 two groups of fandom these days um, We have the problem of people who, as I said earlier, immediately hate on everything and then people who immediately embrace everything and then those two uh groups who when they find out that they're disagreed with, they get really upset and mad and they both start saying very mean things about one another. Um, and one of the mean things that end up being said was that you cannot criticize this character or that character because that makes you sexist and or racist. Get ready, I'm about to criticize the character. Um, I thought that Reva was a missed opportunity and I think that uh, they did not do the actress uh, any favors by giving her such a muddled her character, such a muddled, weird motivation. Um, you know, I hate Darth Vader and I want to kill him, so I'm going to kill all the other Jedi so that I can kill Darth Vader. Um, you know, that's I don't. There's no there's no logic there, and there's no. I I don't. I, I I just think that it's okay to say this character was not well written and not well thought out. There. Now, if you want to get into you know they they want us to you know Star Wars 50/50, y'all. Good to have good to have another female representative and all that good stuff. Wonderful. Um, I thought it was interesting that hers was the character who got most of the marketing right out of the gate. Um, I I think it's, there, there's a lot of telling things there that this character, because of all that, and because trying to make her a good person in the end felt very shoehorned in and, and her logic feels very shoehorned in. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that, um, that this character was very well thought out. Listen, I don't know about the actors. I, I think the actress did what she could with what she had. Um, I, I, she so the, the thing is is like they want her to be so smart and so much better than everyone else, you know, um, but at the same time, she doesn't conduct herself in that way and and that's not an act. like she's not throwing on an act of like you know of, of being always angry and frustrated and everything. Um, and being a little bit off the hook, off the, off the, you know, just, just kind of off the reservation, if you will. She's not doing that. Her character's not doing that as an act to throw everyone off her scent. She's doing that because that's how she feels. That's, uh, that's the only way to read that character that I saw. I could not see any deception in her, in her position. She just is so hell bent on getting that grand inquisitor position because it's going to get her close to Vader. And so I feel like, um... You know, it it just wasn't, it just wasn't great. And and if she really wanted to be the sneaky villain, then be the sneaky villain, you know. Um, In that fourth episode where Vader's choking her out and she's like, I put a tracking device on the ship. I don't like seeing, and this is me personally, here comes a personal thing. I don't like seeing people like, well, that's where Vader got the idea for the tracking beacon from. No, it's not. Vader has always been tactically smart and a tactician. Um, he, they were tracking that ship the moment it put in the, in the Death Star. He was ready to track it to the Rebel base if that's where they were headed, especially once all the stuff started going down on the prison level and everything. You know what I mean? Um, so, uh, so then I'm led to believe that not only did Anakin, who killed every other youngling that he came in contact with that night, at the Jedi temple Anakin, who, who knows dead when he sees dead Anakin, who is, you know, he is just getting strong and strong with the dark side does not actually kill the little girl when he stabs her. Um, and then later on, Darth Vader does not kill her when he runs her through and stabs her. I just feel like, um, I feel like that's not, It it's it's strain. Listen, I know we're dealing with spaceships and space wizards and laser swords, but even that strains the the credulity of things. Even though we've seen Maul come back from having his lower abdomen cut off, had we not seen a person die from being run through in Episode One, it'd be different. And I think that for the purposes of anything that is done by Disney, I think you have to go back to um the original stuff by George Lucas to say here are the rules here is here are the parameters that we will exist in now and i know that that's not popular but george lucas you know is the is the writer director producer of episode 4 he's producer and co-writer of the story on episodes 5 and 6 uh he is all of the above on 1 2 and 3 so these lucasian star wars properties that were his with his fingerprints all over it with his story being told those are the rules of the universe in which we now walk and and it's all and i think that the writers will do themselves a favor if they stay within the boundaries of those rules and um you know dylan says they address in the show revenge does wonders for the will to live okay i'm inigo montoy you killed my father prepare to die um I just, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that I buy it. I don't. Again, it just. It, it it strains things. But anyhow. I I. It's not enough to make me say, "Oh, I hate this. It's ruined it." I'm just being honest about my criticisms of this of this show. Um, the other thing that I feel like I would have done differently is um I would not have had Obi-Wan win that last fight with Vader. It was cool, like it was so awesome the conversation they had and and the voice modulator going in and out. I thought it was really super neat. I thought it was great. We you know, we got to see where the head wound comes from now, you know, which is so important to all of us and and uh, I said that a little sarcastically. But we you know, that that's kind of the thing. I really thought that it was a great fight. I thought that what they did with Vader was amazing. <clears throat> the uh, you didn't kill anakin skywalker i did is a great line and it puts into perspective everything that obi-wan will tell luke in about 10 years you know so it it is it is a it it was great there was some great stuff come out of that but i really do feel like that this is twice and okay just like with anakin he killed a little girl once, didn't didn't take. The second time, you're going to make sure it takes after you've beat her up the way that you did. With Obi-Wan, he left him for dead one time, and he's still alive. You have him down. Kill him now. Kill him. <laughs> Kill him now. There's a lot that would have been... I don't... Look... I'm not trying to give a star Wars hot take here. That's not my, there are people who come along and be like, well, here's my hot take on Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's the bad guy because he didn't kill Vader. And all those people died because of that. I'm not, I'm not going down that path at all, but I am saying that you've seen how evil he is. You know how bad he is. It, to me, I've not had anyone explain to me why not killing Vader was not an option in that moment for Obi-Wan. Um, and that's why I think that, oh well, he had to. Def- okay, DF Music says the forces for knowledge and defense, never for attack. You're right. He, but now he had the knowledge and he had defended himself, and it was time. And sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And to defend the galaxy, to defend the weaker, to defend those innocents of Alderaan, to defend everything that's going to be coming down the pipe. Yeah, you need to go ahead and take old Vader out because you have him down. Like that's the whole idea. That's why he went to Mustafar in the first place was to kill Vader. That's why Yoda went to go face the Emperor, was to kill the Emperor. They weren't going to take prisoners. And that's why Yoda, when he fell down and, and couldn't get back up there, realized he'd failed, that he'd come to a stalemate, that he could not win that thing. So he 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 failed. And, and so he had to go into exile because he knew they were about the end of dark time and they had to regroup and replan and refigure. Same thing with Obi-Wan. So I... I just it, it makes sense. That, but if you have Obi-Wan, they have the same thing. They have the same they have the same battle basically that goes on. They have the same conversation. And just like with Optimus Prime in the Transformers movie, when he's getting ready to strike the killing blow, there's a distraction, and Vader's able to get in one last shot and get away barely hanging on and he thinks that he's done away with obi-wan that obi-wan doesn't just walk away i think that that would have been a little bit better and i think that um that that you oh man dylan that's a great point obi-wan once thought as you did the final confrontation show does not justify that line of my opinion i agree and i also agree that it doesn't there's not a lot in Revenge of the Sith that justifies that line. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But anyhow, but see, here's the thing. They don't need... You're now 10 years out. Are we going to have another confrontation in the next year or so? I, if At that point, if Vader doesn't think Obi-Wan is either dead or not a threat... Vader is not going to stop looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's not. Um, when he says, when I left you, I was but the learner, he means they're in Revenge of the Sith. When I left you, I was but the learner. But now I am the master, only a master of evil, Darth. Um, that line I can make more of than the other from, from Return of the Jedi. Um, but that's the problem. I don't think Vader and Kenobi can meet again until they meet on the Death Star. and And so... And and this is just from a storytelling standpoint. But now hey, listen, here's the thing. Again, if you go by how it makes you feel and that's what I do and that's what we should do with a lot of this stuff. That confrontation they had was awesome. It was it was absolutely, you know, what you wanted to see in an Obi-Wan versus Vader battle. You know, it it was it was brutal, it was tough, it was you know, Obi-Wan had his whole Spider-Man moment with the rocks all over and everything. Once again, the force is not lift about lifting rocks, but there sure is a lot of rock lifting done with the force in these movies. Um I, I I thought uh I thought it was uh you know, overall, like I say, what worked really, really worked, and what didn't work to me did not work well at all. And and unfortunately, um that's kind of been the hit and miss of Disney Star Wars to me, is what works really works, but what doesn't is just kind of the complete the other way. And, and so to me, it made the show a little more inconsistent than I would have liked it to be. But if regardless of what I thought about the timeline, and this is, this is my last thing on this. And, and, and I don't know if I've got anything else to say, if if people want to bring up stuff, we'll talk about it. But regardless of what I think the timeline should be, Regardless of how I, I felt about anything else with that show, his final conversation with Leia on Alderaan, when he is is telling her about her mother and father, and and tells her how she sees them in her, was it it it's one of those moments that kind of caught me by surprise. I was like, oh. Well, that just got me in my little heart right there. You know, that's kind of where I was on that thing. You know, I'm like, "Oh, well that just kind of that tugged at the old old heartstrings there." Um I would uh and then the stuff with Luke when Owen says you want to meet him. Um again, something caught in my throat. I don't know what it was, but but it was a really special thing to see him walk over and I didn't care about the hello there. That's to me. All right, that's fine. Great. We all get it. He says, hello there. Uh, that's been a thing since Revenge of the Sith. Welcome all you noobs. Um, you know, it was neat when he said it in, in, uh, in Revenge of the Sith and and we've all known hello there. And it's great that he said hello there. Um, that's wonderful. Uh, but just the fact that they're like, let him be, I'm going to let him be a boy. And, you know, and you see the two distinct paths that Luke and Leia take, leading to that moment where they meet up on the Death Star. Um, but you also see the imagination of Luke Skywalker fired up by this guy who's kind of came out of the desert, said, "Here's a little toy for you," and and walked away. You know, um, and then the Qui Gon stuff at the end, I I thought was just was wonderful. I thought you know, there's Qui-Gon and I didn't have a problem. I still don't have a problem with the way I've looked at it a few times. And be like, Oh, he looks old too. I thought, I think it looks fine. The, it's not to me, the, the, the flashback, I didn't talk about the flashback sequence. I, I stand on, we can de-age people. We, we have deep faked Mark Hamill's face for crying out loud and voice. We can de-age Hayden and, o, and, and you and while they're there, that's, it's not like that can't be done. And the fact that they didn't do it was a distinct choice. So anyhow, someone mentioned the music. Um look, I'm based on a tweet that I saw, and, and this is this is the this is all I'll say about this. I do feel like there was a little bit of No, I'm not gonna go there because I can't say I cannot say part of me feels like there was some arrogance on the part of the of the composer to say I can do this as good as John Williams. And I'm not going to use any of his cues. And that felt very arrogant to me. Um, but on the other hand, when those cues finally do come in in that final episode, come on now. You know, like, all right, this is what we've been waiting for. And so it ends up being something we're, we're building up to. What is a memory if not a flashback? When I remember myself as a kid, I don't remember growing up Steve running around, you know. So anyway, sorry, Mark. I'm just saying. Um But anyways, look, overall, I can't complain, you know, uh, six, seven out of ten, I guess, um, passing. uh, Because where it worked, it worked so good. It it worked so, so very good. And where it didn't, it it didn't work great at all. So, um, yeah. You know what I meant to do? I meant to talk about Doctor Strange in this segment, and I didn't do that at all. That was dumb of me. Why did I get into Obi-Wan Kenobi? I don't know. But, but that's fine though there we go we've done that we've done everyone Kenobi I welcome your opinions and your thoughts this is one of those things where I will carry the conversation on through episode after episode geek out at gmail.com Geekoutonline at gmail.com now if you haven't gotten the trivia yet let's revisit the trivia there are two six digit uh, number letter sequences the first being 589 or I'm sorry <coughs> seven eight nine five five one. Seven eight nine five five one. The second being A W nine six B six. That's Alpha Wingo nine six Bingo six. I guess it's Bravo. That's it's Bravo. And I don't know if, if Wingo is right for W. By the way, A W nine six B six. Now here is your clue that will not help you at all. Uh, these these numbers and letter sequences are connected. To a Billy D. You could say they are connected to a Billy D. We'll take a break, come back. Whiskey. Whiskey is W. Whiskey.
1: Those annoying Bigfoot. This thing was 10 foot tall. beautiful hair. I thought he was going to kill my Save time and money with Sasquatch Stick. The Sasquatch Stick is a revolutionary device that rid your property of those problem Bigfoot. i come out here and rough talk him and run him off. Our product's been successfully used by tens of thousands of people and been positively reviewed on nationwide news programs. I go up here, this stick, he was standing right there. And I said, get away from here. Get. Get. If you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get your money back guaranteed. Works on most mythic beasts, real or imagined. And he went right back out that path again. Others may cost you $100, but for four easy payments of $19.95, the Sasquatch ticket can be yours. Limited time offer, not available in stores. Whether you need to travel for a necessity or just enjoy getting away, taking a trip has never been more affordable for our 425 rooms to mark our 40th anniversary of being named the best hotel in the area the grand is locked in our new low rate our vintage hotel with the same furniture and decorations from the 70s with our free continental breakfast and accompanied oversized swimming pool and hot tub we're the home of the famous floating sausage we know you'll love it just listen to these satisfied customers so romantic with the smell of the bacon, and the, the eggs, and the chlorine. Yeah.
0: I love America. Hey, listen, I'm staying at the Grand. They've got a great breakfast buffet. <laughs> you can sit right there in the hot tub yeah. and have your breakfast and listen to some good quality music.
1: This holiday season, if you're looking for a 1972 look, feel, and price, look no further than the Grand.
0: Geek Out Loud from the Wilbur Heath Memorial Recording Studios. I'm Steve Gawson. Glad to be along with you. Uh, where I'm at in my neck of the woods, getting a little late, but that's all right. We've had a, it's been a long time since we've been together and I uh, want to continue this conversation that we've been having. Once again, we're not going to do this every episode, but I just thought something, listen, I'll, here's how this came about. I was watching a movie uh, just yesterday, in fact. And something was done on said movie, and I said this would be a fun, very, very hard trivia question that no one would see coming out of the blue for Geek Out Loud. And I came up with what do these two number sequences have in common? Seven, eight, nine, five, five, one. Alpha Whiskey Niner 6, Bravo 6. Uh, for uh, the second sequence, AW9 6B6. And it has to do with a what what we could call a Billy D, or who we could call a uh, a, a Billy D, um, if we were to give this person a nickname. Now, uh, the other clue that I might give you it comes from our chat, where Wendy Cooper said it is it Top Gunish, and I said uh, no, no, it's it's not. You're in, you're kind of headed in the right direction, but you're not there. So. Uh, that that's what I can give you there. Um, haven't seen Top Gun yet. Heard nothing but good things. We did go see uh, Jurassic Park. Not Willem Dafoe, but you're you're kind of on the right again. You've got the right idea there, Roth and Wyoming. Why? this is Willem Dafoe? Nope. Uh, this would actually be a character name in said film, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, Iron Eagle. No, it has nothing to do with Iron Eagle that I would know of. I'm trying to think. Nope there's there's no connection to Iron Eagle. I do want to see Top Gun, Angie. We hope too soon. Uh, we did go see Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, we were we had a little vacay and uh, we we were down in the the great state of the free state of Florida, and um, we went to go see it and we ran out of power. Ran out of power. Uh, in the theater, in about 20 minutes into the movie, so someone stopped peddling the. Now there was a storm coming through, and the power got knocked out, and uh, we were told rather, um, rather bluntly, "Hey, you're not welcome here anymore. Get your free passes and get out." So, we we left, and and we didn't get to see it. So we went. Uh, my wife celebrated a birthday just last week, so on her birthday, we went to go see Jurassic World Dominion yet again. I will say this and and this is what I told I told my wife Haley as we were leaving the theater. I said, "Here's the thing. Um <clears throat> I have I've seen I've seen the dinosaurs movies. I've seen the dinosaur movies now. I, I don't need to see any more. Um we're good. I I think we're good on dinosaur movies. Um but I will tell you this. Um they and this was said uh, on a recent I I recently guested on Rule the Galaxy podcast a Star Wars podcast uh and I thank those guys for having me on we had a great time last time I was there myself and Adam Bray were there uh I miss Adam would like to have him back on again and I'm sure he'll come on at any time uh because he's a good friend and we appreciate him head over and, and follow him on all the socials at author Adam Bray and Mark Hamill's getting all over it right now he's all over it um And as we, uh, as, as, so, yeah, I'm just done with the, 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 but I did not dislike the film. I thought, okay, this is pretty good. You know, um, it's one of those things It just, it is what it is and and I'm okay. Um, so, but what specifically, uh, Mark Hamill anyways, um, I'm now talking to the chat. We're, We're going back to ADHD out loud. Um, but here's what and this is and this was brought up on, on the uh on the show with Rule of the Galaxy, and I'm gonna steal what Alfie from Rule of the Galaxy had to say. And that is on Jurassic World, that's how you treat legacy characters. They did such a good job with uh the, the, the original characters from the original Jurassic Park films. And um and I thought that He's exactly that. Um, I I, I thought that he was exactly right on that because they did not lessen the characters, cheapen the characters. You were glad to see the characters. They did not take away from. um, Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I need to uh, to do this again. Um, The question, the trivia question is, what do these sequences have in common? What are they? seven, eight, nine, five, five, one in a W nine six B six. It has to do with a Billy D Mark Hamill has come along and said he, he, he used the clues of uh, top Gunnish to get to Tom Cruise, to get to mission impossible. And indeed it is from a mission impossible movie, but, but I need to get specific down on that thing. So it is a code or a mission, but who and what, what is the deal? So that's where it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats so in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Anyway, um, that was a response to the chat. He said, that's impossible. I went with Luke's. That it, It's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats so in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Be just like Bigger's Canyon. Um. So any, anyways, where we're at, they treated the legacy characters great. they didn't kill them off they weren't looking to demean them or ruin their lives you know in fact one of my big problems when we got the jurassic world or jurassic park 3 was that sam Neill's character and laura dern character that they weren't together like they'd gone their separate ways and so for them to come back to um back to life back to reality for them to be able to come back. I thought was just absolutely great. See, that's one of the things that happened in some of these films and even some stories and even comics. When we get a few years removed and we bring people back, it's like, Oh, we have to destroy their lives. They can't be together. They can't have happiness. Why in God's name would we make, any, let anyone be happy in this universe? And, and so here with Jurassic world, they, they kind of did that. And, um, but overall, look, uh, it was a it was a dinosaur attacks people movie, and that's what it was. So there weren't children, you know, under threat this time around. So that was kind of nice. I guess the little girl was, you know, she's there with them, um, the little clone girl. But you know, that's fine. Um, so it, but it, it 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 is a formulaic thing, and I don't know that there's anything the the first Jurassic park really is one of those movies like you, you don't get much better than this, you know, and every attempt afterwards fell a little bit short. Um, those, some were better than others. Uh, but to come to this one, you know, there were some good laughs. I thought there were some, some, some tense moments. There were, um, there were some fun bits, you know, here and there, there were some neat things. There were some heart tugging things and, All right. Mark Hamill is all over it. Mark Hamill says the six digit code to the vault holding the knock list is seven, eight, nine, five, five, one in the first one. And uh, and so we'll go ahead and tell you the the code, the next code, the a a w nine six b six is the uh, is the is the password to the computer terminal that holds the knock list. So both of those things are clearly seen and heard in, in the first Mission Impossible, ladies and gentlemen, um, I have watched Mission Impossible yesterday. Why? Um, because there's this trailer that's out for the seventh one that's coming out next year. And I'm like, oh, I got to catch up. You know what that means? That means rewatch. Get to know these things inside and out again. So um, anyway, um, welcome back to Geek Out Loud, uh, Jurassic World Dominion. I enjoyed it for what it was I can do without any more, um, any more dinosaur movies. So there's that, uh, we've been going for a while, ladies and gentlemen, do we have time to get, we've only been going an hour and a half or so. So, okay. Yeah, we got time. Let's get into, uh, let's get into, uh, uh, Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. I've seen that since we've last been together, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um look, I, I want to reiterate everything that I've said about Marvel in 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 the Marvel cinematic universe. Um to me, when I saw Endgame, uh as as disappointed as I was in the lack of Hulk stuff, even though he was really um even though he was, you know, smart Hulk and he was there and everything, I I loved Avengers Endgame. I thought it was for that series of movies, just a perfect ending. I I really did. I thought that it was just absolutely everything that a superhero franchise needed to, to cap things off, you know, and, and, and we could have at that point, shut down Marvel cinema and been gone for three or four years and relaunched with, you know, a new, uh, uh, Spider-Man, you know, or relaunched with a fantastic four or, you know, relaunch with, with some of this stuff. And, and and I would have been absolutely okay with that. I would have been okay with the end of all things Marvel Cinematic Universe being Avengers Endgame because it was so beautiful. It was it was it was Lord of the Rings level glorious to me. And and I still look when when I think about gosh, I want to pull it up right now and just watch it while I'm talking about it. When I think about Captain America, you know, getting the, the hammer and fighting Thanos. And when I think about, uh, you know, everyone coming back and, and, you know, and it on your left and all that good stuff. When I think about those things, um, to me, I still get kind of chills. I I still just, I love it so much. And, um, and it doesn't get old to me. Like, I, I just think it was, it was great. And so my thought process was, is after that, um, anything else that they do, you know, is just gravy. And so if it's good, wonderful. If it's not good, oh, well, you know, we, we got the good stuff and and they can't all be winners. And that's kind of where I was. That's kind of where I am on the, on the Marvel, uh, cinematic universe. So, um, when, when I think about, uh, when when I think about Doctor Strange then, you know, I think uh the multiverse of Madness was, was really interesting. I I think they could have gone a little bit further and and really done some mind blowing things um that they chose not to do for a thousand reasons, you know, that are beyond my control. And regardless of what I think, you know, I, I, I just I, I thought it was an interesting opportunity to do some really weird fun things. But I'll say this. Um Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is one of the more original feeling um unique feeling Marvel movies that we've had in a while. Uh it was very Sam Raimi like from the you know you just kind of sense that that even though Raimi was dealing in this huge huge universe um that he was the guy to do this. There was a lot that felt very ditcote. Sam Raimi is a silver age comic book fan. He, you know, his Spider-Man was was a silver age Spider-Man Toby Maguire and and the stuff that he was doing. And so that informs Raimi's comic book sensibilities. And so so when we get to this Doctor Strange, you get the sense that Raimi kind of hung with Doctor Strange for a while. Uh obviously the writers have a lot to do with things and that sort of stuff, but but this movie was was gory. It was you know it was more violent. It was a little more brutal. It was a little more scary. There were a lot of shots that were all Sam Raimi shots. You know, um, if you've ever watched like The Evil Dead or, or seen some of that stuff, he he did some similar things. DF Music sixty four in the chat. He had some similar shots to his Spider Man movies. He did. He, he he absolutely did. And I I thought that 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 was needed. Was you know. So much of the final few portions of the, the, the first wave or the, you know, the whole infinity saga were done by, um, were, were directed by, uh, I can't think of their names. It's getting too late, but anyway, uh, and, but everything kind of had a uniform kind of feel to it. This was the first one in a while that felt like it was its own thing in a way. But it was also so tethered to everything else because of WandaVision, because of the Scarlet Witch and, and that sort of thing. I'll tell you this. I am not a fan of um of the Scarlet Witch whole you know, going nuts and, and being a villain and everything. I'm I'm never a I'm never a big uh fan of, of the heroes going bad, but this is something that happened in the comics. Um the, you know, the, the Scarlet Witch going crazy and that sort of thing. And the whole house of M storyline, Mark Hamill says some of his Spider-Man shots were taken from the evil dead series. You're right. When the arms come alive and go after the people, that's very much the tree stuff. It seems like, but anyway, uh, let me, let me get my thoughts back here. Turn away from the chat. Stop watching Endgame. game. Um, I, I'm just going to jump right to it. I want to jump to the Illuminati scene. Uh, <clears throat> the, the story, you know, was fine. I'm not a fan of the good guys going evil. Uh, you know, the whole point I thought of the end of WandaVision was she'd kind of come to her senses and, and, and was going to be good. But then we find out, you know, it's a dark holds corrupting her and that sort of thing. So that's fine. That makes sense to me. I get it. But when you come to, um, when you come finally to the end and there's no redemption for it and there can't be at that point because, you get to the Illuminati scene and she's just killing people left and right. Wanda does not care about the destruction she leaves in her wake. And uh and the thing is her motivation is clearly laid out. It makes sense, you know, her the uh the the whole idea of um of of her being corrupted by the dark hold makes sense that playing off of her motivations to want to be with her children that you know, she created in her mind, makes sense. The fact that she's going to go to any lengths to do that makes sense. Um, but when you get to the Illuminati stuff, that is fan service. There's no, I want you to understand something. There is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with fan service. I am not against fan service in any way, shape, or form. John Krasinski, as Mr. Fantastic, is what people have been saying. They've been they've been uh, campaigning for they've been rumoring for all this time and for him to show up as reed richards i thought was really cool would i like to see him in the mcu proper as reed i thought that he played reed with just the right amount of compassion and and um and 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 sincerity uh that that reed richards has I, look, I am a Fantastic Four fan from the from as soon as I started, um, from as soon as I started doing uh, doing comic books, reading comic books. I, I just I I, I love them, and and they were they were my jam growing up and, and reading comics and everything, and still are in a lot of ways. Like that, I, I just I love the family dynamic of them. But Reed Richards, you know, is not the funny guy. Reed Richards is always the guy who's trying to be he's either he's either lost in what he's trying to do or he's the guy who is trying to make peace and trying to calm the situation down with logic and, and that sort of thing. And I thought Krasinski played that wonderfully. I really did. And I, I don't know that he looks the part of Reed Richards. You know, that's that's a whole different thing. Let's see if we can get a little bit of this here.
1: Chose to go it alone. Well, he turned to the darkhold, began dreamwalking.
0: He here we go. No, I'm sorry, I went. I went too far. Here we go. This is him taking Strange to the Illuminati. I love the fact that um, when when Xavier shows up, they play the '90s animated theme. You know, for the X-Men theme. I, I thought that was a cool a uh, bit of uh, composing by Michael did Michael Giacchino do the th- score i think Stephen he did Strange. maybe i'm wrong you i'll are double now check that. before
1: the illuminati i baron karl mordo the sorcerer karl karl <laughs> captain carter the first avenger Black Agar baltagon keeper of the Terrigen mists the inhuman king. Like a guard,
0: Huh. Hit hey, a guy hit it there. <laughs> Captain Marvel. <laughs> I just noticed he see what he was show. doing right there. Hey the guy. Out of the air. And the
1: smartest man alive. Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Elfman did oh, the Steve. music. Fantastic Four. Didn't you guys chart in the 60s? I'm sorry, is this a joke to you? Well there's a guy over there with a fork on his head, so yeah, a little bit. Be grateful Black Bolt doesn't engage you in conversation. They're a
0: little too formal. I don't like some of the, the, uh, you know, some of the acting there's a little bit wooden. Except, honestly, honestly, it's wooden except for Krasinski.
1: The larger the footprint you leave behind, the greater the risk of an incursion. Incursion? Mm -hmm. An incursion occurs when the boundary between two universes erodes and they collide, destroying one or both entirely your alternate self created the Illuminati
0: I can absolutely believe that John Krasinski can play um, play Reed Richards I, I I don't see any reason not to not to go ahead and cast him in the next in the Fantastic Four movie it's encouraging you're worried about do you seriously think I'm a bigger threat than the Scarlet Witch
1: Oh, we can handle your little witch if she decides to dreamwalk.
0: <sighs> no, no, you cannot. Not unless you give me the book of Bishadzi. We
1: appreciate your concern, Stephen, but it's not the Scarlet Witch that we fear. From our experience, the greatest danger to the multiverse, it turns out, is Doctor Strange. Wait, you're Doctor Strange? Earth's. See, that
0: his delivery of that doctors. stuff, to me, like, is spot on. Here we go. Danny Elfman.
1: Our final member professor charles xavier
0: I uh, look i'll be honest with you i've been critical of some of elfman's scores in the past when he does things um but what i also have noticed about elfman is is he's not scared of doing musical fan service when you take his score for the justice league not the schneider cut uh but his score for uh the the joss whedon cut of the uh Of the Justice League, you know, he threw in Williams, Superman, he threw in his Batman, you know, and that's what fans love and want here to throw in that little motif of the X-Men thing was great by by Elfman Elfman. But he also, leaned. look, here's where this movie works so well, because one of the big things through that first Infinity Saga that I repeatedly said was, is no one was using the themes that had come before in the sequel films. Brian Tyler, God bless him, uh, just went his own way with the stuff that he did that was sequel-wise, you know. Um, He did, I think he did the Thor sequel. He did like a whole second phase almost. Um, Henry Jackman in The Winter Soldier didn't do any of the Captain America stuff that Alan Silvestri had laid out. It was just really kind of disappointing You know, there were, there were, there were great scores through all those movies and they very, they very rarely relied on what had come before even, you know, which made no sense because you're not, it's not, it's, it's fine, you know, do, uh, build on those themes. You know, I'll I'll say this, you know, as much as we love, uh, John Williams and what he did with the Superman score, you know, um, it was Superman two, the, the composer of Superman two. I can't think of his name. can't think of his name. Um, he, uh, oh, my gosh, I can't remember the name. Who did, who was, can someone tell me who scored Superman 2? Uh, Superman 2 score. Ken Thorne. Ken Thorne. Um, you know, Ken Thorne took John Williams' uh, Superman theme themes and he played off of those and did a really good job. Like to me, because I grew up loving Superman too, a lot of those themes are so super familiar to me. So like the 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 darkened version of the Krypton theme for the the villains and the the use of the Superman theme just over and over again. Alex Alex Courage did four with a lot with a little help from his friends, if you will, with John Williams very heavily involved in that. But Ken Thorne did that. He also did uh, Superman 3. He knew how to rely on those, those themes that were so important. And I wish some of the composers would have done that. So anyway, I just want to say this. You're right, DF Music. In, in 2, he pretty much copied and pasted his, his sketches. But he, he stretched them out here and there. He did some nice things with them. He made it work. I love the Superman 2 score. Um, Superman 3, he got to do a little bit more you know, of his own stuff. But he still wove in the Williams stuff really well. When it comes to uh the, the Marvel back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Danny Elfman here in Multiverse musically relied on Michael Giacchino's stuff from the first one and his own stuff that he threw in with you know with Raimi, but also little things like that. Um uh, he uh what am i losing what am i losing my train of thought he threw in that X-Men theme and i think it's great so um when you get to strange dreamwalking and and doing doing the thing where he's controlling the the dead body of strange which is basically zombie strange is what a lot of people are calling it that whole final battle really creepy really scary the battle of the illuminati where she comes in and um and uses uh, uses, uh, Oh my gosh. I'm totally y'all. It's getting too late. I'm losing my train of thought. We got to go. We'll see you next time on geek out loud where Wanda comes in and kills everybody in the Illuminati. Um, I don't know. I, I hated to see that. That that's one of those things. I'm like, I don't like that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that the guy who can speak and, 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 destroy somebody. Black Bolt is power. Like that's one thing they always make clear with the inhumans. Black Bolt is, is super powerful. There's a great scene in, uh, I believe it's fantastic Four annual 21. Don't hold me to the annual number until I look it up here on the Google, but basically crystal, his sister-in-law has been gone for a while. She's been running with, um, with the, uh, with, with the fantastic four. It is annual 21. And, um, and her husband, she had married Quicksilver Pietro and he'd gone nuts and been a villain, but then he kind of came back around and he was trying to make amends. And so she wanted, uh, they wanted her to come back to live with the inhumans who all live on the moon in the blue area of the moon. Well, Crystal didn't want to, she wanted to stay with the Fantastic Four and continue to go adventuring. Well, they have a whole little thing on the moon with the Fantastic Four and Black Bolt takes Crystal out to the edge of the blue area. The blue area of the moon in Marvel Universe is an area of the moon where there's air and people can breathe and it's safe. Um, Black Bolt takes her out to the edge of that where there's barely any atmosphere and he barely whispers to her, stay. And it knocks her off her feet. And it's such a powerful moment to her because he took her where the sound waves couldn't travel and he still barely whispered just the word stay because he's so wanted her to be reunited with family and to do what was right by the inhumans. And it put such a, it it made such an impact on her that she, she stayed. So when, uh, when, when Wanda does his mouth and his head blows out, I'm like, why wouldn't the front of his face blow out? Why was the back of his mouth? It it didn't make a lot of sense, but that's fine. And then the shredding of Reed Richards, like that kind of hurt to see. Um, but also, Look, I've read in the comics where Reed Richards basically liquefies himself to to get out of a, a jam. So I don't know. I, there's an interesting kind of theory about people like Reed Richards or Plastic Man. You know, there was a great story. And I know Reed Richards and Plastic Man are two different people. But, uh, but Reed Richards, um, I mean, not Reed Richards, but Plastic Man, there was a great story in, in the JLA run. I believe it was in, still in Grant Morrison's JLA run called The Obsidian Age. Where the Justice League all have to go back in time to basically save Atlantis there, for some reason. There, there's a whole battle through time. Plastic Man ends up getting stranded in time or blown up or something, and you come back to the present. And this, when I say the past, I mean I'm talking 2,600, 3,000 years in the past. The next issue, you see Batman after it's all said and done. He's under the sea with a canister, going you know with the Bat Sub and everything, picking up pieces of what appear to be. Gooey plastic and everything, and he's putting collecting them. They're pieces of Plastic Man, and Plastic Man basically survived all those years, just blowed up, you know. And he was basically discovering he was indestructible, and it freaked him out. Like he had a whole mind freak that went on with that. But um, anyway, and so you feel like Reed Richards may may be the same way. So it's it's kind of it's kind of sad. But anyway, I, I didn't like to see that, and then so there you there's that, and then she then she actually has to fight captain carter and captain marvel captain marvel gets crushed by that statue which is pretty cool and uh and and then man the whole shield thing with captain carter like that's where i'm saying like that was the Raimi touch was the little bit of blood dripping off here the little bit of gore the little bit of violence you know it's a little bit more violent than what we're used to in in a marvel movie and um a little bit darker and a little bit sadder because of it you know i I think that's, you know, I'd like my superhero movies to be uplifting and, and and kind of victorious and everything, but this had a real sad kind of dark edge to it, and, and I know it had to do that, and that's fine. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, the whole thing with Cleo showing up, and that her name, uh, and, like, there's an incursion. The word incursion, this is the one I'm like, I winced at, because the thing is... Incursions are what kind of led to uh, the 21st century secret wars, um, and 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 the kind of and one of the th- we've heard several things. Of course, there's going to be a secret invasion show. I think on Disney Plus. Um, but one of the things we've heard is you know secret wars may be coming. That may be the big thing for this phase of 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 Marvel movie or for this era of of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And my thing is, is is the Secret Wars that was done in the 21st century, I was not, I didn't jive with. I like the original Secret Wars, where an all-powerful being from beyond gathers these heroes and villains to a world that he made of pieces of other worlds, It called Battle World, and they slug it out to be victorious, to win their heart's desire from this all-powerful being they dubbed the Beyonder. Um, it's cheesy, it's crazy, and you're right, you know what would work better? A universe-ending incursion where the greatest villain that we've ever met uh, ends up with the power to uh, rescue himself and the rest in in the one world uh, and basically be the god of the world. But the problem is, is he was the greatest villain of all time. And um, and Reed Richards and, and a few are saved in a little pocket dimension that he creates until they finally show back up and and things go nuts. You know, actually, I need to reread that Secret War stuff. The problem with crossovers in the modern era in comics is, is they cross over to a thousand different books and a few little add-ons here and there, and so it's hard to kind of follow the whole story. I need to go back and reread that crossover because I'm talking about it, and it's actually pretty cool. It was Dr. Doom who ends up getting the powers of a god to spare humanity, to spare this universe, you know, and he basically has a whole... World he calls Battle World. So you've got a section that's all like uh, the '90s X-Men. You've got a section that's all Marvel zombies. You've got a section that's all this, and um, and he's doing and he's living his best life. And then he finds out Reed Richards is alive, and he goes nuts. And um, and and of course you can't trust Doctor Doom with power, so you have to kill him. So if that's where we're headed, that may actually be pretty cool. But I don't look. I've I've rambled on about that, and obviously I stuttered and stumbled and fumbled around. So. There it is. Crossovers are too expensive today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Dylan Newhouse says, "I'm gonna let you finish." But Jesus called the Beyonder the greatest villain of all time. No, Doctor Doom is the greatest villain of all time. Um, he, in both in both versions of Secret Wars, in the first Secret Wars, he got the Beyonder's power, but in the in the 21st century Secret Wars, Doctor Strange actually goes and I forget who he makes a deal with but he goes to like the powers of the universe, like eternity and chaos and order and all these other people. Um, and, and makes and cuts a deal with them to. And they're like, well, we'll give you the power. He's like, no, I can't, I can't have this power. I, I, it's not, I'm not going to even think about trying to wield this kind of power. So Dr. Doom's like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll be God. Um, and, uh, and so, he does and Doc, and Doctor Strange is kind of the power behind the throne. It's an I I may start to read it tonight if I can stay awake after we finish recording to check a little bit of it out. It's it's worth your time. I gotta get up early in the morning. I just remembered that. Oh my lanta. How early is early? Well, five thirty. It's only eleven thirty here. We'll be fine. So uh Tintin's with me, the cosmic powers. Um, Chris Hansford says, the problem with the MCU is they're introducing a lot of characters people don't know. Well, here's the thing. I, the only thing I'll say that, Chris, is you're right. I don't think you're wrong. But I also think who knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were way back in Phase 2? You know, like, that was a weird place to go. And um, and and so, you know, you you've got to introduce these people at some point. My problem is, is the is the refusal to recast legacy characters you know so that Steve Rogers is still around uh Tony Stark is still around um so that Thor will still be around and I know listen we've loved Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth and no one will ever do it like Robert Downey Jr but we have to look at these characters as long lasting as your James Bond if you want to keep these things going so that you have you know, the ability to continue on. And, you know, no one wants to be George Lazenby. No one wants to be the guy to put on the armor after Robert Downey Jr. I get that. But we need that. And I think that that's one of the mistakes that was made um, in with, with Indiana Jones, you know, that they've already said, well, we'll never, there'll never be another Indiana Jones at Harrison Ford. You're missing out on a lot of opportunity to tell a lot of fun stories. You know, if we learned anything from the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, it's that there's some great stories to be told with a different person playing Indiana Jones at different points in time in his life. Um if we've if we've learned anything from from the James Bond movies, uh you know there there needs to be you can recast and it can work. Um you know in it's just a matter of being willing to push through all the initial oh I hate this. Doctor Who. You know that's the way Doctor Who has had such longevity. Who's the next doctor? Who's the next Iron Man? Who's the next this? But instead what's happening is and this goes over to what's happened in the comics. In the comics, there's been a a, a real push to try to um, replace the legacy characters with newer characters who were not really given the time to get to like or know. And and they're, they end up kind of being shoved on us. And sometimes it's not a good fit. Sometimes it's not really a good... Uh, it, it's not even the best take on the character. And so... Um, and so that causes a lot of older people like myself to push back on that. And again, you find you find those camps where we're going to immediately hate it or we're going to immediately love it. And and I think the truth is found somewhere in between those two where it's like this doesn't this isn't working. And I think we have to be okay that it doesn't work. I think the creators have to be okay that it doesn't work. And I think they have to decide what is it they're trying to do in creating these comic characters and creating these comics and then ultimately creating these movies. I will tell you this. I have in my past had some Christian comic books that were not good. They weren't good. Um, They, they were, they, they were heavy handed in the messaging. They were um, unbelievable in the way that the stories were told and they, because they weren't like retelling Bible stories. They were like, this person did this. And it's just like, uh, This just feels a little much and they were not enjoyable at all. There was no, there was no enjoyment in reading those Christian comic books. I'm a pastor of a, of a conservative church. I'm a con, I consider myself a staunch conservative. Um, and, and I, and, and my faith is, is the most important thing in my life, but I can't stand to sit through a Christian movie. Um, the oftentimes the, the acting is not great. um, the uh the 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 stories are 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 flimsy and the message is what's so heavy handed. So having said that, the flip side can be true too. You know, when you when you're more worried about your messaging than you are about your storytelling, then the storytelling suffers, the characters all suffer, and and you end up getting so focused in on well, I want to push this one agenda or this one idea or this one identity or this one thing you miss out on what's a good story. That is not to say that comics shouldn't address political issues. That's not to say that comics shouldn't address real life issues. That is to say that they should do it in a way that works a la the way Stan Lee and company did it a la of the way it was done. There was a great issue about, you know, like some of the biggest, most memorable issues in comic books are ones that dealt with, with social, with society's ills during, you know, in the day at the time. And, Um, and and they did it in such a way as to not try to force anything other than, uh, just a response to what was, what was going on, you know, and, and somehow they didn't alienate their audience, you know, and that, and that was, they did it well. And, and so anyhow, I I don't, I don't want to go down that road and and complain about that because I don't mean to, but I do think that, um, that what chris i'm going back to what chris originally said is that there's a lot of characters we don't know i think the bigger problem is a lot of they're removing the legacy characters and 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 that's who we want to see continue on that's what we want to see um see going on uh i'm tired of using time travel to continue storytelling just lazy and hollywood has no new ideas that's what chris says as well i can't disagree with you there i i think that 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 one of the things that this whole multiverse idea kind of opens up is is the is the ability to undo what has been done in the story, um, whereas really you could just reboot things. You know, like I said, after Endgame, take a three or four year break, really punch out a, 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 an extended story again because you've seen how it can be done, and start with Spider Man. Spider Man is a flagship character in the Marvel universe. I'm sorry, he is the flagship. I know we all love Tony Stark because of uh because of Robert Downey Junior, but Iron Man was a C level character at best by the time that Iron Man came out in two thousand eight. You know, he had been everything from a drunk to a teenager, um, to dead to alive to you know, he was he was on the in my opinion, the wrong side in the Civil War. He just absolutely was was a he wasn't my and there wasn't a lot of people in the common space that knew who Iron Man was. And then boom, here comes Iron Man and and shook up the world. And so Iron Man moves to the head of the class. But he's not going to replace Spider Man as being the most iconic uh Marvel character of all time. I just don't think he can. And um and so I think you start with a Spider Man and, and you go from there. And now that Disney has all these properties. Recast, remake, redo, reboot. It's fine. It is okay to do that. So that when you get to an Iron Man movie, everyone's looking forward to that because, oh, we haven't seen Iron Man yet. And you can you can sit down and really lay out a whole series of, of movies leading to another big kind of uh, event the way that they did with Endgame. They've seen how it works. And how about if you do that and all the kinks that weren't there in the first four or five movies you know, back leading to Avengers. What if those kinks are gone? Or the kinks that led into Avengers Age of Ultron? What if you were able to iron out all those kinks and redo everything? Yeah, with a reboot you can do that. And I think it'd be great, you know? Would I miss Benedict Cumberbatch? Sure. Would I miss um uh, uh what would, would I miss uh Tom Holland? Yeah. Who's to say he can't be Spider Man? You know, would I I'm going to miss Chris Evans. I miss Tony Stark. I mean, I miss Robert Downey Jr. I miss... I'm going to miss Chris Hemsworth when he's no longer playing Thor. I'm going to miss these characters big time, these actors in these roles big time. Let's get some new actors in there. You know, let's do it up. Back to the Multiverse of Madness real quick. One of the things, you know, like we saw... We saw Charles Xavier. We saw Black Bolt. We saw a different Captain Marvel. We saw uh, Captain Carter. We saw... uh Mr. Fantastic, I've already said that. So that was pretty neat. You know, we saw those Ultron bots and everything. We saw different versions of Doctor Strange. That was really cool. Apparently, there had been rumors that we were going to see Lou Ferrigno's Hulk. I mean, come on. You could have blown through a universe where that was the case, you know? You could have blown through a universe where, uh, where, where Japanese Spider Man is swinging by. You could have blown through a universe where, um, where, you know, any of these things could have been done, you know, when they went to the cartoon universe, they could, so it, it's okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just, uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity moving forward. Multiverse of madness. Again, it's to me, what worked really worked super well. And, and it's another case of what I didn't think worked well, didn't work well. It was no Spider-Man, uh, no way home. I'll tell you that. I, Spider-Man No Way Home just surprised me with how much I enjoyed it, you know. Uh, they already recast Rhodey, that's right. I'm here, it's me, deal with it. Remember, that's what Don Cheadle said. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I, obviously the energy level's winding down. Obvi- gosh, we just need to start over. I messed up so bad, we, we need to start over. I haven't even talked about Stranger Things yet, y'all. Um, uh, I didn't talk about going to see Petra my wife and I went to see Petra. That was fun. Uh, I don't know Well look, we ain't got time. I will say this, no spoilers. I want to do a stranger things mega. sode. um, I stranger things was great in season one to me. Season two was a good continuation of what had taken place in season one. I thought season three was weak. Um, I thought that season three, they tried to lean too much into the campiness of being a 1980s, uh, period piece. Um, and, uh, and I, I, I was concerned that season four may do the same thing, but man, season four in my estimation is right back to the quality of, of a season one. Uh, I, by, for the most part, uh, I really loved, what they did with this show in this last season and um you know i, I don't think it's spoiler alert. i think they've been pretty open about it. there'll be a fifth season i i hope that season five is it i i really thought they had set themselves up for this to be the final season but man um i the, there were surprises i was shocked at moments i was i was laughing with glee at moments i was scared at moments you know like they did a lot right in this, in, in this season, in this final season or this last season and, uh, and looking forward to what they'll do uh, in the fifth and final season. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, we'll talk about that more in depth and spoilery when Mark Hamill can be around after he's finished it. We'll do, we'll, we'll not Mark Hamill, not the actor, but Mark Hamill, Mark all, uh, all the small things on uh, Etsy. Check them out. Um, uh, so favorite Christian rock band of all time, Petra. Um, they are uh, classic Petra revival now or CPR. Um, it is, uh, Greg X volts who was with them in the seventies into the early eighties. It is, um, Bob Hartman doesn't, he was the original founder and guitarist, lead guitarist, songwriter for Petra. He doesn't tour with them anymore. Um, Louie Weaver, who was a longtime drummer, Uh, the bassist uh, can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he doesn't tour with them anymore. And then John Lowry, the keyboardist who was with them for years and years and years and years and years and years. He tours. Um, It was all of them together, but then, you know, they kind of age some of them feel like they've aged out and just want to be at home and not tour. But uh, I was really impressed with them. They did a lot of the old, old stuff. There wasn't much John Schlitt stuff. And if anyone, if you know, Petra, you know what I'm talking about here. Um, But it was a great show, very small, turnout over at Kennesaw, Georgia, the governor's gun club there. We, uh, we, I'd got tickets online and we rode over to see them. Um, and, uh, it, it took them a while to get started up because they were also live streaming and there were people who'd bought tickets to watch a live stream. And so they wanted to make sure that they had everything going properly with that. And, um, and I got to tell you, you know, it's one of those deals where they're older and he's not moving like Mick Jagger, but man, uh, he's still got really good pipes, does Greg X volts, a lot of guitar, you know, even a little guitar guitar back and forth action. Um, lot of, a lot of rock and roll was taking place. The, the harmonies were tight. The, the tunes were good. And, and, uh, and it was just a, it was a great time, uh, to be, to, to see Petra. I haven't, the last time I saw him was back in 1995 ish. um, 94 95 uh in atlanta atlanta fest and um and that was in the heyday of john schlitt uh bob hartman ronnie cates louis weaver and john lowry and they were i believe they were still doing unseen power at that point that tour i don't know that wake up call had come out yet but uh it was just really cool to go and, and see them live and um you know and then my wife was like i could understand the words and she's become kind of someone who likes at least this version of petra and um, and so we had a we had a good time. Let me give you a taste of, of CPR. This is this is a remake a re-recording of their song "Angel of Light." This is from
1: 2010.
0: So they've got uh, classic Petra revival, Back to the Rock, and Back to the Rock Two. Um, they uh, it, and it's it's a lot of there's a couple of new songs on them, but it's mostly just re-recordings of, of their older stuff. And I, I think they probably had to do that for uh, music rights and stuff. Um, and uh, but uh, like some of that stuff, some of the new stuff actually sounds really really good. And, uh, and I, and I really, really dig it. So yeah, it's good stuff, man. I, we had such a good time and, um, and, and I wish, you know, obviously it's probably the last chance I'll have to see them. You know, I, I hope not. I hope I'd, I could be able to see them again. I'd love to go see them again. Um, love to do a meet and greet, you know, by the time that I found out they were coming to, uh, Kennesaw, all the, all the VIP tickets with the meet and greet and everything had been, uh, had been, uh sold out so i i didn't get to do the meet and greet man i would i would i would have loved to so we we got to do that and that's fun and that just it fired me up to do the petra means rock out loud show uh that much more i've i've got half a script written for album number one and i'm really really chomping at the bit to to dig into that so um that that's really what i want to see happen um before we go uh how about a little bit of uh big honking show ish stuff For you, I found this absolutely fascinating from from the annals of history, 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 history. This comes from NPR. uh, Shonin Miranda writing on all things considered. Uh, Researchers in the United Kingdom have found that an ancient Greek inscription on a 2000 year old marble tablet is actually something resembling a yearbook for a graduating class. According to a new translation. The inscription sat in the National Museum's Scotland collection for over 130 years without being properly looked at until researchers discovered the document, according to Peter Liddell of the University of Manchester. This is one of a small number of inscriptions in Scotland, one of three ancient Athenian inscriptions in the city of Edinburgh, so it's absolutely exciting, Liddell told NPR's All Things Considered. Liddell's on the editorial committee of the project Addict Inscriptions Online, which published a new translation on May 31st. He referred to the inscription as a concise class book, which lists the names of young men within a cohort who finished their year-long civic and military training in what was called the F-a-bait. uh Researchers listed 31 names. Some of them are nicknames, such as Theogas for Theogenes, or, Dian- or Dionysus for Dionysodorus, using the shortened names, was unusual, the researchers said, but not as unusual as things like this. There's an inscription that reads, I signed your crack, ha ha ha, have a great summer. And those who know us, love us well, those who don't can go to, all right, well, there you go. That's the old classic, uh, uh, greek inscription with a with basically a yearbook oh here's one that's really neat when we look a bit closer at this inscription we discovered in fact that it was a new document something quite different from anything known before it said i can't believe we've made it this far have a great summer stay in touch you'll always be my best friend all right there you go um so Dylan Newhouse says he's getting a hard stop on his goal evening. So that means uh, there's either a baby crying or a wife saying, you need to turn it off and pay attention to me. And on that note, it's true. What is going on? Oh, I've got some music playing over here that I didn't mean to have playing. Um, hey, everyone, thanks for hanging out with me for a couple hours. It's been good to be back here doing the Geek Out Loud thing. Uh, if you've stuck with us this long, don't forget... Uh let me know at what timestamp you realized it was the codes from Mission Impossible and uh, the reason it's Billy D is the man's name was William the last name started with a D. William DeLone or something like that. William Delo. William Delaro. William Delano. Anyhow, so Billy D. Uh so let me know the timestamp when you discovered that and uh email us geekoutonline out online at gmail.com geek out online at gmail.com and uh you can follow us on twitter but i'd really where you're going to f- see most interaction probably on facebook in the facebook group geek out com slash group or the instagram the real geek out loud the other night i fell or the other afternoon uh the other night i met a girl and she look at me tonight so nice. um th- that's dc talk the the other day i almost fell i stumbled greatly into my shelf holding all of my Marvel legends. They, many of them took a tumble to the floor. Uh, I've not yet reset them on the shelves. And so look for that photo journal to come to Instagram. As soon as I'm able to start setting those things back up again. Um, a lot of projects going on here around the Casa de Glosson, but, uh, we appreciate you being a part of the geek out loud family and the Goldiverse. A lot of changes, a lot of differences. I know that over the years there have been some highs and been some lows, and now we're just kind of doing that thing of coasting into obscurity. But let us coast together into mediocre obscurity, knowing that we did indeed make our mark on Geekdom and had a great time doing so, and we're still going to have fun as we go down in a blaze of glory, or at least a blaze of mediocrity. You know, we'll be like that firework that has the great razzle-dazzle name, and you light it, and a few little sparks just kind of out. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Not even a whistle. Not even a, not even a big bang. Just a And we're done. We're not even the sparklers of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. We're the cheap, <laughs> We're the cheap Walmart fireworks of podcasting. Hey, appreciate you all. Thanks so much for being a part of everything. Have a great, great whatever you're having. And we'll see you around the Goldiverse.